0: Well, good morning, CBC family, and I do mean family, so it's good uh, to see everybody, and it's fitting that for the next two weeks, uh, we're going to have our kiddos join us in the service today uh, to do family worship, uh, because we're going to talk over the next two weeks about what it looks like to be the family of God all together. Did you know that one of the ways God talks about His church is that we are one big family of God together? So it's Chantilly Bible Church, no matter your life story, your, your religious background, your personal history, or even your language or culture, in Christ, we are all one family together, brothers and sisters and children of God. So in a very real way, every weekend is family worship weekend because the church is the family of God worshiping together. And as God's family, we are called to live our lives in Christ together. The Bible is full of passages that speak to that life together, using the phrase one another and how we act as a family. Love one another, serve one another, welcome one another, confess to one another, encourage one another, rebuke and correct one another, and dozens of other one another's that speak of how God's family prioritizes life together. It's another way of saying, we need each other. We can't do it alone. We need one another. And so we've called this short series, One Another, Prioritizing Life Together. So I actually want to start today with a couple questions just for the kids in the service, okay? So it's kind of two questions in one. Uh, I want you to answer, but I want you to raise your hand, and I will call upon you. Okay, so kids, are you ready? Okay, here's the kind of two questions in one. Who is someone in your life that loves you, and how do you know that? So kids, think about it. who's someone in your life that loves you. How do you know it? Yes, right here. Uh, my mom. Your mom. How do you know she loves you? Because she's kind and she helps me. Oh, my mom, and I know she loves me because she's kind and she helps me. That's really good. What else? Oh, I got a little, little one right there. Who, who in your life loves you? Grandma. grandma. Yeah. How do you know grandma loves you? Because she's holding you right now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's good. Okay. Right back there. Your mommy and your daddy, because they say it all the time. That's good. Let's just do this for 40 minutes. This is great. Uh, Let's take a couple more. Oh, I got back there in the blue. Wait, your dad, because he brings you coffee sometimes? Cars and coffee. Okay. It's to say, your dad loves me too then. Because he, bring, yeah, he brings me coffee. That's all, I do love you too, John. All right. Uh, one more. Let's get one more. Uh, is that brother? Hey, that's right. Keep it in the family. What you got? Your dad. How do you know your dad loves you? Because he lets you watch Jurassic Park. That's fantastic. Um, John, if we could talk after, um, yeah, just, it's probably unrelated, but let's talk. I'll bring the coffee. Um, no. So how do you know someone loves you? Well, you see it by what they do for you. So I hope you have an answer for your own life on somebody in your life that loves you. But like we said, somebody, we know somebody loves us by how they treat us. Because love is not primarily an emotion or just an instinct but it's an action. So to quote the great hip-hop band DC Talk, any fans of DC Talk in here? All right, you're going to prove it because you're going to finish this line. (laughs) They said, I don't care what you said. I don't care what you've heard. The word love, love, love is a verb. That's right. Uh, Love is a verb. Love is an action. It's not just a feeling, but a demonstration. So some have offered a definition of love to look like this, that love is to do what's best for someone, even when it costs you something, or maybe even especially when it costs you something. To love someone is to consider their needs above yourself. It's doing what's best for someone, even when it costs you something. So let me ask you, if that's what it means to love someone, what does it mean to serve someone? What I would argue that a great definition of serving is to do what's best for someone, even when it costs you something. That to love someone and to serve them are two sides of the same coin. That to love someone is to serve them, and to truly serve someone is to love them. To look upon someone in need and consider their needs, what's best for them, above our own desires, above our own selves, to love is to serve. But as we know, serving is not easy, it's definitely not glamorous. In fact, our world has a mixed up understanding of the place of serving in our lives. We're told that an important life is not shown in serving, but in being served. That the more important we are is shown in how many people we can get to serve us to do what we want. The world says greatness is in being served. But is that true? Is that the mark of a great and important life, or could we have it completely backwards. And what impact does that make on how we live life together as God's family? So, to answer that, let's look at a story from the greatest life to have ever lived Jesus. Let's see what he teaches us about serving, serving like Jesus. So, let's read from a story in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Verses one through seventeen. Go ahead and turn there. John thirteen. I read verses one through seven. Follow along as I read this story. John thirteen, verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own to the end, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, You have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is God's word. So this was the last night Jesus has with his disciples before his death. Later on in the evening, Jesus was going to be betrayed and arrested. He was going to be unjustly led to suffer mocking, torture, and death on the cross for the sins of the world. This night is the last time Jesus would have with his friends before the cross. And what he does in these final moments is radically upside down to our world and even our own hearts. He serves so let's take a deeper look together at what it means to serve like Jesus, starting with what Jesus teaches us about the highness of serving. So when I say highness, what do you think of first? Maybe, maybe your phrase, your royal... All right, right, you're, you're John, get people coffee. Let's come on. Let's go. No, your royal highness. Right, no, that's a phrase. Like when you're talking to a king or a queen, as we do, Uh, but when you address them with the honor and majesty of calling them your royal highness. So I think that's as good a place as any to start understanding the radical, beautiful calling Jesus gives us to serve one another. Because in our story, who is doing the serving? Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus. Who is this one wrapped in a towel, bent low, face first into stinky, dirty feet? Who is this Jesus? Well, let's see. John tells us in our story in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. What do we learn about who this Jesus is just from this one verse? A lot. First, we can see Jesus came from God and is going back to God. So, what does that mean that Jesus came from God? Well, it means this that Jesus was not just another man born one out of eight billion. He's not just another teacher or another guru or prophet. Jesus came from God, from heaven, eternally existed before he was born on earth. Jesus is the promised Messiah, God the Son, from God the Father, from heaven, from glory, given to us. And as our Messiah, John makes it clear to us what that means by telling us, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands think about this god had given him all things all things who is jesus the one in charge of all things the one calling the shots in command over every life every people group every nation every empire the one over every moment every molecule Every single thing in all of the universe, the authority over all things, belongs to this Jesus. He is the king of kings, the king over all things. In other words, he is the most royal of highnesses. (laughs) There is no one greater, no one more important, no one more powerful, no one with more highness than Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Paul would describe Jesus' Highness in Colossians this way. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things created by Jesus, for Jesus, and he holds the universe together. So I've I've heard it say this way. You cannot hyperbolize Jesus. Whatever greatness you can imagine Jesus is greater than that. And we could go on and on throughout Scripture, but the point is this. Jesus is the highest life, the greatest life. And what did Jesus, our true royal highness, do with his great life? He served. He considered others' needs above his own at cost to himself. And so if our high Jesus prioritized serving with his high life, what does that mean For us, where do we find our lives having the greatest significance, the greatest value, the highest impact, in getting others to serve us? Or when our lives are spent following Jesus, living like him, loving like him, serving like him, there is nothing higher than Jesus, and there is no life higher than the highness of serving like him. So we see the highness of serving is shown in how high our serving Jesus is, but that's not it. Going back to verse three, we'll be in there a lot today, where it says that the father had given all things into his hands, that Jesus was given power, control, authority over all things. And what did he immediately do? So I want you to imagine the scenario. Right now, immediately, you not only win the lottery, you win every lottery. And not only that, you are simultaneously crowned king or queen of the world. You can do whatever you want. You have all power. What would you do? Throw a party? Buy the world's biggest mansion? Buy Twitter? I don't know. know. (laughs) Would you find a beach and a buffet and just live the sweet life, right? If you had all things, what did Jesus do? Well, let's read again together, verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and begin to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with that towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus didn't call his disciples together to throw him a party, massage his back, feed him grapes. (laughs) Jesus, with all the power over all things, rose, took off his garments, picked up a towel, and served. This is completely backwards to what we know about power. The world tells us power is the ability to get others to serve us. But Jesus here shows us a new power, a greater power, the high power to serve. It's not the absence of power or laying aside of power, but serving is picking up a new power. Pastor Sam Albury recently gave a message at the memorial service for Tim Keller. And Sam talked about Jesus, the son of man who came to serve, and he wrote this. Jesus shows us a new kind of power, one that is sacrificial, not predatory, one that exists not to take advantage of those who are weaker, but to help them. It's a new kind of power because in this world, power and greatness always seem to trend toward self-importance and having others at your beck and call. In the mentality of our world, the more power you have, the more people serve you, but not for Jesus. He claimed to be the one with greatest power, the one by our metrics who could most expect to be served, yet he says the whole point of his coming as the son of man, is to serve. He is the one whose sacrifice is not in spite of his power, but the very expression of it. And I think Sam's right. Jesus, our high king, with a new high power, not of this world, shows us the greatness and strength to serve, the highness of serving. But just as there's a highness to serving, we see in this story, we also see a lowness of serving. Verse 5 says, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, in the time that this story takes place, uh, there weren't any concrete sidewalks or paved roads, right? Uh, there was nothing to walk on except for the ground. And no one was wearing Nikes, Just so you know, you can fact check me on that. To live in this time was to walk around on those dirt roads. And sometimes you were barefoot, other times you might have like open sandals, but walking around outside your feet would just get caked in best case scenario, mud, dirt, and filth. Worst case scenario, well, it wasn't just people walking around on those roads. All sorts of animals leaving behind what all sorts of animals leave behind. So someone's feet would very quickly become disgusting, dirty, muddy, filthy, and worse. So someone's feet would be, I'm sorry, uh, so when you would enter into someone's house, right, in order to, to not bring that filth with you into their house, your feet would need to be washed. So it's like there's this barrier between you and the presence of your host And it was your filthy feet, and it must be dealt with. And who would get the privilege of removing that barrier and washing the filthy feet? The servant. The lowest person charged with the lowest job cleaning filthy feet. And that's what our high king of heaven in his last moments does. Bends low. The lowest to show his disciples the greatness and the lowness of serving. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Why did Jesus do this? The king of glory, stooping to the lowest, most debasing act. Because it says earlier in the story, what? He loved them. He loved them to the end. And how, like we asked earlier, how do we know that somebody loves you? By what they're willing to do for you. And we know this. The higher the love is for someone, the lower that love will go. The higher the love is, the lower love goes. By washing gross feet, by bending low, Jesus was teaching them about the depth and power that a great serving love to one another looks like. It's a low love. Notice it does three things. This low love, it moves forward into the need. It's a low love that does bend low, humbly serving even the worst of a person. And it's a low love that seeks to make others better, even at cost to ourselves, even by making ourselves worse. It's the great lowness of serving. So what does that look like, this framework to take a high love and serve low in our lives? Well, first of all, it starts with making the moment not about you. To look at your spouse, or your brother and sister, or your coworker, your school friend, your fellow CBC member, your neighbor, an enemy, a rival, or the most annoying person you can think of, and enter into that relationship starting with the mindset, it's not about me. But like Jesus, it's a serving love that will move forward to others. It doesn't pull back from others. It bends low, willing to get dirty, uncomfortable, and humble. And it seeks better for others. The goal that someone else is stronger, raised up, lifted up, even if it means it costs me something. It serves others the way that Jesus served. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about serving. He talks about when we serve even the the least of these, the, the ones that the world calls the least. And he says, when you serve the least of these, you're not just serving them, but you're also serving me. That we're actually serving him when we serve others, that he's there. And Paul and John would talk about the nearness we experience with Jesus when we walk in obedience, serving others for the sake of the gospel and their good. And when our high love, excuse me, leads us to serve low, We not only meet others' needs down there, we actually meet with Jesus down there. When I was in college, um, I met weekly, one-on-one, with an elder of our church for discipleship. Uh, So just in case you didn't know, in Texas, discipleship is done in the morning over breakfast tacos. It's a state law. Um, But I remember one morning sharing with my mentor that I was feeling really spiritually dry and really distant from God, that I didn't have this excitement about God, and I wanted to be you know, passionate and filled up, and I was looking for some advice from this um, elder. And he thought for a second, and then he told me something that I remember here over 20 years later, his answer. So what I was expecting to hear was, Hey, Mike, I've got this great book for you to read on the power of God and how to have a dynamic relationship with him. So, you know, or, I was expecting to hear, Mike, what you need to do is, is go find a, a quiet place by a lake and just pray until God ignites a fire in your heart for a minute. And don't get me wrong, those are great. There's nothing wrong with those things. Um, but that's not what he said. I told him I was feeling like really spiritually dry and wanted to have like this dynamic relationship with God. And he looked at me, he goes, hey, Mike, you know what you need to do? You need to go find a ministry that needs chairs to be set up And go do it when no one's watching. And that was not what I was expecting to hear. (laughs) But it's what I needed to hear. And he couldn't have been more right. The wisdom in that response, like I said, I still remember. Because I, I felt like God was saying through my mentor, Mike, your life is focusing on the wrong thing right now. You've made it about you. Go serve others. Anonymously. Quietly, for no one's eyes, stack chairs, wash feet, go low, and keep doing it until you find me there. Jesus shows us the highness of serving, but how that love propels us to meet him in the beautiful lowness of serving. But ultimately, what we need is the fullness to serve. And what does that mean? Well, I keep going back to verse three, so might as well keep going back there. But it's where John says of Jesus, that the Father had given all things into his hands. He had all things. He lacked nothing. Another way to think of that is Jesus was full. And why is that important? Because it means that Jesus in his fullness was free to truly serve others because he didn't need anything from them. He was full. So God tells us that we are all born with an emptiness inside us, a hole that was meant for God alone to fill. But instead of going to God, some of us try to fill that emptiness by getting others to serve us. And it could be in our homes or with our friends, always insisting we get our way or that our preferences went out or that others bend to our wants. It could be at work, trying to fill the emptiness through climbing ladders and ranks, proving our value, through how many people we can order around or how many report to us. Any way we think that emptiness in us can be filled by getting others to serve us, it's that we are empty and we're longing to be filled. All right, we're going to go one level deeper. But for others, we actually try to fill that emptiness through serving that hole in us, that emptiness. Maybe it's guilt, past choices that we've made that were selfish and hurtful and caused pain to ourselves and others. And that regret is a hole in us that we try to fill by doing enough good to offset that guilt, serving others, pleasing people, always being available, never saying no. But really, we're not serving others we're serving ourselves, using serving others to fill our emptiness and our guilt. Make sense? Or maybe we aren't feeling guilty, but an emptiness in us, a deep insecurity that we know that we're not enough. But maybe we can be enough if if we do enough. That by serving others and volunteering or becoming philanthropic, I can serve my way into proving that I'm one of the good ones, or at least one of the better ones than others. And so we serve to fill an emptiness and insecurity in us that we are not enough. And again, we're not serving others, but serving ourselves ourselves. You see, unless we deal with the emptiness in us, we will never truly serve others, but only use others to serve ourselves. And confession, it's pastors too. I struggle with that. That when that emptiness creeps up in me of wanting validation or applause or accolades, even my own serving can be driven by my own insecurities so then what do we do? We let Jesus fill us. And to understand how, we have to go back to this story. Because it's not just that Jesus was full himself to be able to serve, but the whole point of his foot-washing story was to show his disciples and all of us the bigger point of why he came. And it was way bigger than feet, When Jesus tells the disciples he's going to wash their feet, Peter jumps up in his pride and tries to prevent Jesus from doing it, saying that he doesn't need to be served. And what does Jesus say? Peter, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. This isn't just about washing feet. It's not even just about giving you an example on how to serve others. What I'm doing now is pointing you to the reason I came from the Father in the first place. And you don't get it now, but you will, I promise. And what was Jesus talking about? He was telling Peter and the disciples and us that the washing of their feet was pointing to the greater washing that was coming. By the cross, that very evening, Jesus was going to head that way. So what was Jesus doing by washing their feet, like literally washing their feet? He was saying, you got a problem. You're caked in filth and mud and excrement and horrific disgustingness, and it makes you entirely unclean. And this uncleanliness is a barrier between you and entering into the presence of this house and the nearness of the homeowner. So if you want into this house, if you want nearness to the homeowner, you've got to be made clean first. And so Jesus literally says, I'll go low. I'll remove my garments. I will strip down, humble myself, and take your filth on me myself to serve you and make you clean and remove the barrier. And what was Jesus about to do for them Hours later. And not just for them, for us. Later that night, he was going to be abandoned and betrayed by his friends, arrested and falsely condemned by the religious leaders, flogged, beaten, tortured, mocked, shamed, and marched. Marched to a hill outside the city to a cross. And do you know what that place is called where the cross was? Golgotha. It was outside the city. Do you know why? Because it was the dump. It was the place of filth, of refuse, of garbage, of feces. It was literally a cross in the dump. And our high king takes the lowest place to serve us to wash us, to make us clean, to remove our barrier to God and to fill our emptiness. So we'll proclaim it and we'll rejoice it and we'll celebrate it every time we gather. The truth that on the cross, Jesus, the sinless, perfect, clean, righteous son of God traded places with us. He suffered in our place down low Our condemnation, our shame, our guilt, every single sinful, selfish act we've ever done or thought was put upon him and God's holy justice against our evil fell on him in the dump on the cross. He became our sin. He became our filth on that cross. Our substitute in our place. So a way of thinking about it is this. On the cross, Jesus was treated... As if he lived the life you lived. So that we might be treated as if we lived the life he lived. He was treated as our sin. He was treated as our filth. So we could be treated as his righteousness and his perfect reward forever. He moved forward to us in our greatest need. He bent low to serve by taking our lowest place on the cross. And he makes us infinitely better by infinite cost to himself, by taking on the dirtiness of our sin to give us the cleanliness of his perfect righteousness as a gift by grace, not by what we've done, but by what he's done. He says, Peter, this is not about washing feet. (laughs) It's so much Bigger than that. We know that the higher a love is, the lower it's willing to go for the ones it loves. And you will find no higher love for you than Jesus taking your cross for you. No one higher has ever gone any lower. And nothing will ever fill that emptiness in you. That hole, nothing in this world, nothing anyone can ever do, no matter power, no matter prestige, no matter ways you can make people serve you, there's nothing in this world that can fill that hole in you other than God alone, to the grace alone of Jesus' love for you alone shown in the cross. That is a love that is so strong that even our filthy sin and even the cross itself couldn't keep that love from coming to get us, to make us clean, from saving us. We are made clean, our debt of sin paid, our life redeemed because Jesus, our high king, served us and loved us to the end. So what does that mean as we conclude? To look at this Jesus and his great love for us on the cross, to accomplish our salvation for us on the cross by love to redeem us and make us clean. When we look at that Jesus, what does that mean to have the fullness in him to serve others? And I think very quickly, we can see examples of one personal effect that has on us and the one corporate family effect. And when I think about the personal effect that sitting in awe of that great love for us on the cross, the way Jesus served us, I think about the apostle Paul and the transformation that understanding that grace had on his life Paul said it many times, but one of the ways he says it is here in 1 Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, prosecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to make them clean, to remove their barrier to God, of whom I am the foremost. We have the fullness to serve because we, like Paul, if we are in Christ, overflow with the grace and love of God in our life. Our salvation is not because we were worthy or because we did anything to earn it, but it's a loving gift of grace, and it transforms us, just like it did Paul, to be servants. But then there's a family effect. Not just individually, but when those people gather together as one body and one family like we are today, those who have trusted in that saving grace of Jesus together, they prioritize living like Jesus together, including serving like Jesus, and it changes how we live. And Peter would say this speaking to the church as if he were speaking to us today, those who claim to be remade by that gospel of grace, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order, why? That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see that, friends? The grace of Jesus that saves us is the grace of Jesus that gives us gifts to serve one another like Jesus served us. The expectation is, friends, let's just be honest, the expectation, we serve one another. And that can happen in formal and informal ways. But the question isn't, are we serving one another? But how are we serving one another? So the leadership at CBC, man, I mean, we wanna help you understand what are those gifts God's given you to serve the church body? What ways has God called you to participate in the glorying of God through us? And so we've provided some clear opportunities to help be faithful in serving one another. So this morning we've provided some serving cards. You may have got one on the way in, they're on the table out there. Grab one of these cards. It highlights some, but not all of our ministry and some serving opportunities, but no matter if you're new to the faith or new to the church, if you're unsure about your gifts, we have opportunities for everyone at every stage of life to get plugged in to glorifying God together as we serve and love one another. So before you leave today, stop by the table, grab a card, take it home if you need to, pray over it, and check some boxes of interest and say, hey, I might be called to serve here. And we'll continue to see Jesus glorified through us as we prioritize life together in serving one another. So I'm going to close today the same way that we open, with a two-part question. Remember, kiddos? What did we ask? Who is someone in your life that loves you, and how do you know? Well, whether you're five in here or 95, we all have the same answer. We can all say, who loves you? Jesus. Oh, man. And how do we know it? Because he took our cross for us. He served us to take our filth and sin and to make us clean and righteous. To take away the barrier between us and God. He loves us to the heavens because he was willing to go to the hell of our cross. And he fills us with his love and grace. So what's the best way we can love this Jesus back? Well, to do what Jesus told his disciples to do that day. He said, what? I left you an example. Go and serve one another like me, and you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Our high king of heaven, Jesus our minds cannot comprehend the greatness of who you are. And our minds can't fully wrap around the depth of the suffering you took for us in our place on the cross. But even if we can't fully understand it, we believe it, we confess it. That Lord Jesus, you came not to be served, but to, de- to serve. That you gave your life as a ransom for many. That the highest of love was shown by what you were willing to do that for us. And we are remade, filled up by grace grace and made clean because you served us. And so, Lord, you call us to trust you, to follow you, and to serve as you served us. I pray for our church family, those in here that, like Peter, have been refusing to let Jesus serve them, that today they would believe, give themselves to Jesus, stop trying to be their own God, stop trying to fill the hole inside them themselves, give themselves to Jesus in the love for the cross. But those of us in the church, that you would bind us together by your Spirit, that we would follow you and be obedient to you in faith, and that we would serve one another as we prioritize life together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.